1 John chapter 2 here. We'll read 3 to 17, and uh, we'll look at a few, a few points here. Let's read together. <clears throat> Starting at verse 3 of chapter 2, John writes, he says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I'm writing to you, dear, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of him. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. It's a challenging passage. All right, let's have a prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll dig into this together. Uh, Father, we, uh, we do thank you, God. You know, we thank you for the, just the clarity with which John writes. And God, we do pray for our hearts, God. God, we know that, that at times, you know, the directness of your word can be very confronting to us. Uh, we pray you help us, God. Help us to, to hear what, what your word says to us, God. To, to handle it in, in our own lives and evaluate our own lives in a way that is productive. It leads to growth. Uh, and just a further following of you and ultimately glorifying of you, God. Uh, be with us now, God. Help us, God, in this endeavor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Look, it is, you know, it is, it is challenging, but, but just a little bit of context to remind you touched on this uh, earlier. First, about those who are trying to Later writings, you know, he's, you know, writings in, in, in his 80s, right? So later on in his life, and so towards, the, towards you know, 70, 80, 90 AD, uh, and, and the church is already battling false forms of Christianity that are rising. Uh, uh, we should be surprised when the same happens in our day, because it was happening in, the, in their day. And one of John's aims is to try to help the church, to help the, 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 the people he was writing with, to, to navigate that, because it's difficult, very difficult to navigate it. And lots of keys. 
right? In chapter 1, we went through there. He, he speaks and he writes to them and, and he, he lays before the various claims that the teachers are making. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Many people think he's taking the claims of the false teachers and he's saying, look, you as God's people need to learn to think critically. Not in a negative way of tearing down other people, uh, but as he'll later say in chapter 4, you need to be able to test. You can't just be naive and accept anyone and everyone. You, you do have to learn to evaluate. And Jesus pushes the same things, uh, you know, in, in some of his teachings, right? He tells people, you'll know uh, a false prophet and a true prophet by their fruit. What does it produce? Right? What does a life look like? You can't just go off what people say. You need to step back and try to have some objectivity uh, and evaluate things so you don't get led astray, right? So in chapter 1, he laid that out pretty clearly, and he does the same in chapter 2, right? Uh, the NET, which is another Bible translation, does a, you know it brings out this repetition a little bit clearer. Right? It says, "The one who says I've come to know God, and yet, not, yet does not keep His commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in such a person." And later on, there in verse nine of chapter two, he says, "The one who says he is in the, in the light, but still hates his fellow Christian, is still in the darkness." Right? So the one who says he's saying, "Look, you you have people saying things to you, but you need to step back and evaluate." Right? You need to step back and test. Right? And of course, that test, though, doesn't just apply uh, externally. It also applies internally. It doesn't just apply to people out there. It also is for us. Right? It's for us. And you think about these two things in, our, in you know, the section we're looking at today. Uh, two things he's putting before them. Very, very basic. Obedience and love. Obedience and love. Very simple things. Right? But he's calling to us to, to evaluate. Right? Now, examining yourself, evaluating yourself, critiquing yourself, uh, obviously has some inherent difficulties with it. Right? Do you ever have a class growing up in high school or uni uh, where you do a little quiz, and then they would just say, mark yourself. <laughs> and the teacher reads out the answers, and you can hear the erasers. You can see people scratching it out and changing it, right? There are some difficulties with it, right? Uh, you know, but, but a couple things just to think about, right? Because this is what John is pushing us to do, is to examine, obviously, others, uh, you know, who are claiming to be, to, to be experts, uh, but also themselves. Making claims to live like Jesus, well, my life should resemble that. And I need to, I need to consider that, right? Uh, you know, and I think there are extremes with this. You know, I don't know. I tried to choose names. If you're named Gary, Saul, or Donna, I apologize. I tried to pick names that didn't have, you know, someone specifically in mind. Because there isn't someone specifically in mind, right? You know, but there are common caricatures uh, of, of how we respond sometimes, right? And Guilty Gary sits and listens to a sermon like this one today uh, and leaves here shattered, right? Because he overly... Uh, sees the negative in his own life and his own heart uh, and will declare himself devoid of any good uh, and will leave her thinking God has abandoned him, there is no truth in him, uh, and he's useless. Okay? 
Uh, if you're a guilty Gary, you know, you've got you to come more towards the middle, come more like sober Saul, right? The ability to see flaws and be uh, inspired by them rather than crushed by them in order to come and grow as a person, that, that's important, right? But there are also all our deceived Adonis who will sit and, you know, look at the text like this and think about, uh, you know, the, the idea of i got to obey, and they'll think about all the people who they know who don't really obey as they think they should obey, and they'll hear talk about love one another, and they'll sit back and think, oh, yeah, people don't really love me. But that's not what John's talking about. Right? We can't, we've got to avoid the extremes, right? Solomon, in his great wisdom and his treatise on the meaningless of life, uh, warns us, Ecclesiastes about avoiding the extremes. You've got to learn to avoid the extremes. Don't be overly righteous. You've got to be careful. Don't go to the extremes, all right? Does that sound good? I think John even knows that a vast majority of us a lot of times are more like Guilty Gary, right? You probably picked this up. It's kind of interesting. If you're reading a, a uh, phone Bible, it may not be as obvious, but if you're reading a paper Bible, uh, you can see that, that verses 12 all the way to 14, are uh, they're indented. It's poetry. Right? And John is, you know, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. That doesn't just mean the children are forgiven. Okay? All of these qualities that he talks about, right? You know, forgiveness of sins, overcoming the evil one, knowing who, him who is from the beginning, uh, you know, the word of God living in you, overcoming the evil one. These apply to everyone, right? But, but he is trying to look at some of the specific groups. Most people think it's not... Uh, age, physical age, but maybe spiritual age. So he's reminding new Christians, hey, your sins have been forgiven. He's writing to people who have been in the faith for a while, right? Fathers, uh, that they have known him who is from the beginning, right? Uh, to people who, you know, are, are nearing maturity in the faith, that they've overcome a lot. They've grown, right? And so he's highlighting some of the different aspects, perhaps, of the different stages of Christian life. And he's trying to encourage them because he knows the very message he's laying before them is challenging. Right? It's challenging. Right? And, and again, I'm trying to preface here before we even talk a bit about obedience and before we even talk about love, you've got to filter this in the correct way. Right? We've got to all try to be sober soul. We've got to all try to look at, hey, how am I really doing following Jesus? Does my life resemble that? Are there areas where it does? Yeah. Are there areas where it does not? Well, yeah. And I shouldn't be shattered by that, but I should be spurred on to grow. Right? Do each of us love one another perfectly? No. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, but man, we've got to grow in it. We've got to continue to move forward and become more and more like our creator. Amen? Uh, so as we talk about this, right, let's, let's not be guilty, Gary, or deceived, Donna. Amen? That's a long introduction. Let, let's talk about these two tests. Right? These two areas that he wants us to really consider. Uh, one of the things you, you've maybe already picked up from John is that there is no middle ground. He doesn't give third categories. He gives two. Either obeying or not obeying. And again, the perp, you know, John is very much like Jesus in that regard. Uh, it's a, it's a uh, technique that spurs, that challenges, that confronts, right? that wipes away the ambiguity. Right? Uh, and you think again about verses 3 to 6. You know, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. You can't 
know God and not follow Him. I was talking about this with people this week. You know, there's an element of Christianity and God in general where unless you begin to obey Him and follow Him, your ability to know the whole truth is very limited. Right? God, in some sense, conceals truth from those who are too proud to obey Him. All right? Then He says next, whoever says, I know Him but does not do what He commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Again, strong words. Strong words. But again, he's got conviction here about the need for us to obey. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. It's a lot like James, right? James talks about our faith is made complete if we obey it. Right? Even secular you know, psychiatrists like Jordan Peterson have figured this out, that you know what, you want to know really what your beliefs are? Look at what you do. That actually really causes what you believe, not with just what you say you believe. On his skin, I think predates obviously Jordan Peterson from a fair bit, but he's saying, look, you, you, even your love for God is only made complete when you obey Him. You know, this is how we know we are in Him. Again, if you're feeling insecure in your relationship with God, he's saying, hey, here's how you can know. Live like Jesus. Now, if you read that and you don't think, oh, man, <laughs> i got to step up, then you're probably being a little bit like deceived Donna. Because again, John is he's, he's very clear. And it's a, it's a sobering thing to think about. If someone wants to follow you around for the next week, at the end of that week, would they come to the conclusion that, hey, you, you, you are following Jesus? Your life resembles a man who walked on earth 2,000 years ago. Or does your life just look pretty much like the standard Australian in your demographic? You gotta think. If you're saying here, if you're here and you're using the label Christian, and you're taking on his name as a badge for your life, as an identity for who you are, and yet your life doesn't match it up. John says you are a liar. I think one of the reasons why John is so strong is because time and time again, you find the people that have the hardest, uh, you, know, you know, I don't know, hard, hardest situation in terms of becoming Christians. If you begin to dig and ask why and ask questions, what you often find, is that they had a close friend or family member who claimed to be a Christian but lived a very different way. Hypocrisy destroys your witness. And I think that's why John is getting such strong language, pushing us, you know, you got to step back and think. And you can read through a gospel, and you can skim through a gospel, and you can look, okay, what, if I was to boil down the, the 16 chapters of Mark, uh, you know, really, what was important to Jesus? I think you'd be hard-pressed to come away with, you know, uh, you know, indulgent, selfish living. <laughs> I mean, his life was marked by living to glorify God. Being faithful to God, even if that brought him into opposition with the people around him. He was committed to telling people the truth, even if the end byproduct of that truth-telling led to his crucifixion. Now, his motives behind that truth-telling and that that. Uh, prioritizing of God in his life was not selfish gain. It was literally to glorify God and to help others. 
His entire life was centered outwardly. How can I honor God and how can I help others? Are those the hallmark of our lives? You know, I sat this week with, 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 with three or four other people and two of the people were having a discussion about a mutual friend. And one of the young guys was telling his, his, his mate, uh, they were talking about some other guy, uh, and he said, oh, this guy's a Christian. And the other guy said, no, nah, no way. And I thought, yeah, that's a, that's a scary thing. Scary thing. There are people who have known each other for five, five, ten years. Mutual friend. That, that, that reality does not mesh with light and darkness. That doesn't mesh with, hey, Jesus, you know, either you love him or you love the world. You can't love both. But if, if your close friends, if your close family members, you know, had a discussion, would, would they come to that conclusion of, oh, him, her? I don't think she's a Christian. That's scary. That's a scary thought. Does your life, as Jim and Fiona were talking about, match your doctrine? Now that's challenging. But then you begin to think about how you know God's expectations for obedience, it's not just doing the right thing, it's also, man, you gotta have some right motives about it. You can't just do things so other people notice you and so you feel good about your spiritual ego. And you got to do it with the right heart. Again, challenging, challenging thing. Do you obey God? Are you different? Are your values different? Is, is how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you arrange your weekly schedule, is it radically different than the world around you? And is it Different because you're trying to honor God and obey God. It's hard. It's hard to live countercurrent. You know, D.A. Carson, in a book he writes called, called, you know, titled The God Who Is There, Finding Your Place in God's Story, it's a good read. You know, he poses the question that many people pose. Why should I obey God? If he wants to take me in directions that I don't like, who is he to tell me what to do? Who is he to boss me around? I defy him. A lot of times we think like that. A lot of times the people we're reaching out to, they maybe think that way. You know, and D.A. Carson says, you know, look, obviously, unless God made you, that's a valid lament. Unless he really is your creator. Because if he created you, then you need to think about the implications of your stance of defiance. Because if he created you, that means he designed you with a specific purpose and intent. He knows best how your life can flourish and ultimately be full and glorify him in the way it's intended to be. And so if you begin to defy him, the reality is you're not just fighting against God, you're fighting against your very core of who you are. And a lot of times we look too, you know, this is not D.A. Carson's part, but my part, we look too much at the surface level of obedience. Instead of really thinking and understanding, God has a reason why he says, here's the path. God knows what is best for your life. He knows what ultimately is the most fulfilling. He knows what needs to be done. We just need to trust him and obey him because he's our creator. You know, G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, famous British guy, he says, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's found difficult and not tried. I think that's true. And when we think about obedience, yeah, let's be honest here. Obedience to God is hard. Living counterculture is challenging. 
man, John says, hey, that's a big test. That's a big test. You want to know? You want your love to be complete? You want to know him? Well, you, you have to obey. You take on his name. Does your life resemble what he lived for? Amen? Secondly, and unfortunately more challenging, he applies the test of love. And just as he was with obedience, he's, he's just as strong, right? And we'll look at this, this in two parts, right? He says, verses 9 to 11, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. And just like obedience, it's one or the other. You're either obeying him or you're not obeying him. It's either love for one another or hatred towards one another. Now, most of us would prefer the category, you know, the cat, a third category, especially when it comes to love and hatred. Right? I don't hate Trev. I just, you know, I never hang out with him. But I still love him. That's not true. That's why I chose you. Right? <laughs> no? we, we would like, you know, a middle ground of, you know, kind of apathy, right? Not, you know, yes, an absence of love, but not hatred. But again, John doesn't, he doesn't afford that. He doesn't give that. That's confronting. Because it's easy in some sense to say, oh, I don't hate him. Right? But am I loving him? That's a little bit of a higher standard, isn't it? I mean, you think, man, I, I love you, but man, I'm, I'm never going to call you. Never going to initiate. Never going to spend focused time hanging out and getting to know you. That's... You can't say those things and also say, hey, love you. No, that doesn't make any sense. And I think a lot of times when we categories as an absence of love, but also an absence of hatred, God would maybe look at it and say, man, that sounds a lot like hatred. Yeah, it's confronting. And love is a huge, a huge theme in 1 John. 1 John, very short letter, five, five chapters, right? You know, love is, is stressed. It occurs 18 times in this letter, which is more than any other New Testament book. The only, the only book that comes close is 1 Corinthians, which is quite a long book. Right? And then it's also, also has 1 Corinthians 13, which you know, gives it an artificial boost because it is a poem about love. Right? You know? But you see, for John, it's such a massive thing. And when you read the Gospels, you see why. Right? John was classified as the, the one whom Jesus loved. Right? Uh, and so love was a huge thing for him, and he understood that. You know, but a lot of people even think, man, as John gets older and he begins to boil down, hey, what is Christianity really about? Love. <laughs> love seems to be where he arrives. I mean, you could even look at this chapter, right? Because what he does here in this chapter is he gives us tests. And the tests, you know, as we talked about the first one being obedience, and then the next paragraph after that uh, is this talk about, hey, I'm giving you not a new command but an old command. That entire paragraph is a segue that then leads up to love. And so maybe what he's actually driving at more, you want to test your obedience? Well, here is the core place to test your obedience. Do you love people? Do you love people? And interesting, the way he frames it is he cautions us very heavily about the danger of hatred. He does talk about the benefits slightly, 
right? If you love, you're in the light. But a bulk of his material is about hating. The bulk of the warnings there are about hating, you know? And I think his point is that love, hatred, it reveals really a lot about the spiritual condition of your lives. You know, darkness, and I was speaking with Manny and I were having to talk about this earlier today. You know, darkness is a dangerous thing. Not because Manny is someone who hates. Amen? Just to clarify that, right? You know, but we're talking about this idea that, man, darkness really is. It's a, hatred is a scary thing as Christians to allow to reign in our lives. It opens the door to darkness. And John says that when we're in the darkness, we, we don't, we're stumbling around. We're walking around. We don't know where we're going. We end up blinded. And hatred and that, that, that apathy, that lack of love towards one another, man, he says, that opens the door to a world of problems. I mean, so many other sins flow out of a heart of hatred. When we allow hatred to reign, things, things like, you know, bitterness, anger, rage, falsehood, slander, divisiveness, dissensions, factions, envy, jealousy, all these other sins begin to flow out of that. I think John, again, he's, he's warning us. Hey, you got to think about this. You're following someone whose the core central tenets is out of love, and yet you don't love other people. That doesn't gel. That doesn't mesh. I encourage you to evaluate your relationships with the people in this room. Can you genuinely look at them and tell them you love them? Do your actions reflect that? Does your effort reflect that? Again, for those of you and me that, that, that claim to be following the, the ultimate example of love, man, we've got to be a loving people. We've got to love one another deeply, not just with words, right, but in actions and in truth. And this one, more than the other, I would encourage you to not just self-evaluate. Ask your closest friends. How am I doing? How am I doing in my relationship with you? What are ways that I could love you more? What are ways that I could build a better relationship with you? Because love is such a crucial thing. A challenging part with love is that he gives us two paragraphs on it. You know, he doesn't just give us, uh, you know, seven all the way down to 11. I do think 12, 13, 14, I think this is him trying to buffer challenging content. But then he rounds off that section with 15 to 17. So he says, hey, here's another test of love. Okay, not just love one another, but hey, how's your love for God versus your love for the world? All right, and David Foster Wallace, he's not a Christian, atheist writer. He says, here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And John, I think, is somewhat pushing this same concept, right? You can't love God and the world, right? It's one or the other. And he says, 15 to 17 again, do not love the world or anything in the, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them for everything in the world. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, 
But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And I think what we see here is, is, is love, obviously, is an emotion, but it's, it's neutral. It can be steered in different directions, towards God or towards the world. John parallels that very clearly, right? Everything in the world, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the world. And what's going to happen with it? Well, it's not going to last. Loving God comes from the Father, and it leads to eternal life. You have a choice, one or the other. And you've got to steer your heart. That's why Proverbs 4, that's why the wisdom of Proverbs 4 says, hey, guard your heart. It's your wellspring of life. Everyone's heart loves and worships something, and, and for a vast majority of us, it's towards the world, not towards the Father. And what I find remarkable is how little the world has changed in 2000. Well, what are the hallmark elements that he highlights about the world? The lust of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, all those types of sins. The lust of the eyes, to greed, vanity, pride. And then, of course, pride. Mankind doesn't change. Mankind doesn't change. He says again, we've got we to evaluate. Which am I more like? Which do I love more? What really does my heart gravitate and attach to? What am I more interested in, the world or the heart? Because it can't be one. It can't be both. It's got to be one or the other. All right? Seriousness of, of, of the scenario. Again, one or the other. Right? Again, I encourage you to think about these things. It is confronting. It is challenging. But it is for those who claim to be in him. You've got to evaluate it. You've got to look back. I encourage you tonight as you lay on your bed and you begin to fall asleep, think about this. Think about, man, tomorrow when I get up, how can I walk in a way that resembles Jesus more clearly? If people were to step back and evaluate my life honestly and soberly, would they say that, man, I'm living according to a different set of values than that of the world because I'm obeying God? And when you think about your heart and your love and your affection, what you really care about, what you're really passionate about, what really tugs at you, is it love for one another, love for the Father, or is it for love of the world? Because you can love the world. It's your choice. But John's very blunt about that, right? It's not going to last. It cannot deliver. Uh, and even David Foster Wallace, the, the atheist writer, you know, that's the second half of that quote is, yeah, you can love those things. You can love, you know, you can, you can worship the world. You can worship gaining wealth. You can worship trying to create beauty and, uh, and, and worship sex, things like that. He says you can worship that, but they will never actually satisfy you. It will never be enough. And that's what John's pushing us to see, that that's all going to pass away. But again, as you evaluate, do it, do it with Ecclesiastes in mind. All right, let me avoid the, the, the extremes of, you know, just guilt-heavy, you know, Gary. Just leaves here crushed, right? Or deceived Donna, who leaves here thinking about how Trevor needs to be doing all these things, right? Have some sober evaluation. All right, again, not to crush you, not to devastate you, but to spur you on to growth. To, to enable you to navigate the difficulties in this life of knowing what's true, right? what's honest, 
what's worth building your life on. Amen? Let's have a prayer and then we'll stand and sing together one last song. Our Father, we, we pray, God, you help us, God. We know that, that what John puts before us, God, in terms of these tests of obedience, God, is difficult to think about, God. We know, God, in the safety of, you know, surrounded here with one another, God, it is uh, it's easy to obey. It's easy to follow you. It's easy to sing and raise our voices and glorify you, God. But we know it's another thing all entirely, God, when we go out into the world. We pray you help us, God. Help us to not be people who live lives of duplicity and hypocrisy, God. Help us to really walk as you walked. To think about you, not just, you know, for, for an hour or two on a Sunday, God, but to, but to integrate your word into our life day in and day out, God. And help us, God. May, may your spirit give us great clarity as we evaluate, you know, our obedience and our love, God. Father, we know that our love for one another, you know, and our love for you uh, are obviously, you know, things that, that, that make us a great beacon to the world, a great light in the darkness, Father. We pray you help us. Help us to have the humility to, to grow and become better friends with one another. To not treat one another with apathy or indifference, God, but, but really love. To really, you know, obviously prioritize our relationships with one another, God. To value them, God. It's really to apply the test of eternity to our lives, God. We know that very few things really only our relationship with you and one another transcend this life into the next, God. May our love really reflect that. Again, help us in all these things, God. Pour out much grace and mercy and forgiveness on us, God, as we strive to grow and become like your son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Let's stand and sing together.